What up? My name is Big Blue, and you are now listening to Go Produce. We're the show that explores how music industry professionals turn their passions into profit. If you struggle with networking and you want to connect with creative, like-minded individuals globally, then this episode is for you. All right. Thank you, Factor, for funding part of this initiative. Today's theme is what can be the result of a music social app that prides itself in being an artist-first company? Today's guest is Mr. Josh Simons. He's a songwriter from Australia and is one of the co-founders of Vamper. Vamper is the number one social platform helping creatives find people to collaborate with, to create music with, and to monetize their work. It is truly an essential network that grows with you every step of your journey. Vamper has already built a network of more than 450,000 users in 190 plus countries, accounting for over 4 million professional connections. Today, I bring you Josh Simons. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for that. How is everyone? So far, so good. No complaints on this end. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Some of those numbers are out of date, though. And oh, well, let's that's okay. educate us. That's okay, because it's, it's all good news. Um, we're, we're pretty much twice as far along now. So there's about 700,000 users and 6 million connections in every country in the world. So things are Things are looking up. That's positive news. <laughs> I stand corrected. Thank you so much. I want you to know, though, that we do appreciate your time. So let's go ahead and make the most of this and go, 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 go produce. Our first segment is the basics. Very good. Yes. Alrighty, Josh. So for a grumpy, for a grumpy sound guy, his sounds are very optimistic <laughs> you say uh, that now to, we need to compensate for something here i understand, I understand. <laughs> that's funny in the basics what we're going to do is we're going to run through a couple of the general topics so that we can all gain a deeper understanding of who you are what you do and then we can move forward with this episode does that work with you of course beautiful i'd like to start off with what is your first musical memory um listening to diana ross in the living room as a like a five-year-old with my mom like listening to a vinyl so yeah that was you know a hundred years ago <laughs> ah, come on was it was it something that happened over and over again so it just yeah. drilled into your mind yeah yeah i think so we, my family is very very musical um like it was surrounded me from the minute i was born my granddad was the the head of universal music publishing my dad was a, a publisher for a lot of big artists. So um, it was just always around. And then unfortunately they both passed away when I was very young, but um, what was left behind was a very big vinyl collection and, and a mother to raise me and my brother. And so yeah. she just brought us up on, on the classics, which I always felt very lucky to have been raised that way. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then having spent so much time fully immersed in music, if you will, what was the first lesson being in the industry has taught you? Um, well, it's not the friendliest industry and it's not for everybody. So um, I think most people who find any sort of success in music found it not uh, by luck, but through determination and, and perseverance. And uh, what you, unfortunately, one of the lessons you learn along the way is that no one else is really looking out for you. So you got to look out for yourself a little bit. So I kind of always caution everyone with that. And that's not, it's not so much a, a caution away from working in music. It's more like setting realistic expectations for people. Like it's not going to be an industry that suits everyone's personality. Uh, yeah. and I think that's really important 
uh, thing to to highlight. So I mean, that's something that I've I've learned time and time again. Um, but it's it's fun. Like the highs are high, right? That's why we all work in this. <laughs> the highs are high. The lows are low. Yeah. When did you first pick up an instrument? Uh, my first instrument was piano, and I was probably about six. I would I think when I, I had my first lessons. I don't know about that. Okay. Um, and my first concert was I was nine. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I That's played wild. on. I, I played on national TV in Australia covering ABBA. How lame is that? But anyway. Uh, um, I wouldn't say so lame. <laughs> very, uh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So the piano and then that in high school, I picked up the guitar and then I moved on to drums and, and now I can play most instruments. But it was always like one you thing. You see that so in- casually and now I can play most instruments. <laughs> but, but it was... I think like music's just like a language like English. You get better at it and your vocabulary expands as you get older. Music's kind of the same. It's just the language of notes and you get better at working out variations on that. So, I agree. Was it a natural transition to being a songwriter or was there almost a turning point for you? Um, no, I think like when your whole life is just music, you probably have a couple of ideas like anyone who's listened to music their whole life and can play an instrument. If they, if they put their mind to it, I think anyone can come up with at least one good song. Yeah. Um, so I think most people have actually several in them. Um, the challenge is getting out, pumping out more than seven, you know, <laughs> getting to a hundred or so. Making it a career. Yeah. And making yeah. it a career. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I love songwriting. It's my absolute favorite thing in the world. And me and, and Baz, my co-founder and Vampa often say that, when, when, or if we sell Vampa one day, uh, we'll almost certainly go back to songwriting. It, it might pay less, but um, we enjoy it more. <laughs> that's that's really where the profit lies, though. I mean, joy, happiness, and you can you can secure your money. Nothing wrong with that, but yeah. um, you got to do that for 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 yourself. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I agree. What firsts are you pursuing personally? Not so much with Vampa right now. Yeah. Um, you know, what's my number one priority, like in terms of what I'm pursuing? Yeah. Your question? Yeah. Uh, oh, happiness always. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So every, all your decisions pretty much steer towards that. Okay. Yeah, but, not, there... but I want to, but not for instant gratification sake. Like I, I, it's not like immediate happiness that I'm chasing. It's more, like, I'll make decisions through the lens of will this lead to happiness, if that makes sense. Ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. You got to yeah. think long-term. Yeah. Um, so a lot of those decisions probably help you guide that, but um, are there also perhaps certain creative exercises that you would use to go beyond the seven song like limits here other than being happy? Um, <clears throat> yeah, there's a discipline in songwriting. I, when, when I'm, especially when I'm working on an album, whether it's for myself or someone else, I find that routine helps get things across the line. So uh, the last album I did for someone was 2019, I think. But um, that required every night doing the same hours and just putting in the time. And some days were really productive and some days weren't. Um, but without putting in the time, you can't have, you're not creating the, the universe enough, giving the universe enough moments to, to reward you with the goods. Yes. So you, you, have to, you have to put in that time. Uh, and sometimes, as I say, songs will come out from nowhere, but then other times you'll have to work really hard on an idea. So perseverance is the key. I think. Yeah. It's the difference between an amateur and a professional. Like the, the amateur will wait for inspiration. The professional will sit down and, and do work. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and, and in, in some ways, 
like the good songs will come to either of those people if they happen to be there at the right time, yep. <laughs> um, yep. which is funny. But um, the songs that you don't end up putting on a personal project, you can sell for library music, right? So <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. And then I just wanted to touch on the first again before we do move forward onto the next segment. Um, perhaps clarify on that in, in like in terms of are there any projects that you want to work like you mentioned if you do end up selling vampire you want to go into songwriting is there something that you're doing in songwriting that you've never done in your past something to like test yourself well i was working with the good music crew when i first moved to los angeles like i fell into that crew for about a year when i first moved to los angeles and that was like the biggest break ever and I was already doing quite well. And so the, this was just like, wow, what's happening? Everything's moving so quick. And then because Vampa was getting so busy, I, I had to kind of not put in as much as I could have and didn't turn yeah. up. And, and, and th- you know, I'm still friends with everyone, but I just fell out of the songwriting circle. So I think if I was to head back into that world, I'd really focus and double down on, on being at every possible session. And I, I'd treat it like I was starting again um, with that son, kind of hunger that you have when you first try and break into the music industry because I think that's what you need. You know? Yeah, yeah, that drive, that hunger. It's only the beginning and it's always only the beginning, you know, that's no right. matter how far you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. I like that. That's a great way to end this first segment. Our next segment is called What's Yo Take? All right, Josh, just so you know, we've got two more segments and... Um, we're doing well for time. Nice. Awesome. All right. <clears throat> In what's your take, I'm going to be throwing three semi-ridiculous perspectives just to get your opinion on the matter. Mm-hmm. Each one of your past experiences can contribute to your future. What's your take on that? Uh, the, your, your present is an assimilation of all your past experiences and defines your decision-making into the future. I mean, I, a big believer that everything that, that comes before uh, needed to happen for you to be the person you are today. So if you're happy with who you are today, that's because all the things good and bad happened to you in the past. And good and, and bad. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it's your, your, your life today is a reflection of the decisions that you've made in the past. And one of the decisions that you've made when you were younger around 17 was convincing your family to allow you to do something quite ambitious. Can you yeah. share that with us? Yeah, absolutely. So I dropped out of school. Um, I convinced my folks. Well, I didn't really, I, I called the school and pretended to be my folks. And I just said, <laughs> refund the money to the family bank. I don't know. Um, and then I, I had a, a serious chat with my parents after. And I said, I'm not going back, but I'd like you to give me the money that you would have spent on sending me to, to school that year um, and put, put into a feature film. And so I had to, I put together like a 270 page, proposal and daily shooting schedule and how we were going to use the money and cast it. And I didn't really know what the fuck I was doing, but I, I kind of convinced them that this was worth indulging. And, and you know, one of the things that I, I don't often say, but is an important part of that story is I promised <laughs> to go back to school the next year through like community school and do it like online. So, um, I, and I did that. So yeah. I went, I, I did end up getting my high school education. Then I went on and, and did a university degree online, but, um, I, yeah, I did drop out of school for a year. It was a great year. We made a film. We made a feature film and got played in Australia and cinemas. It was very cool. That's wild. Not very many people can say that. And then you didn't stick with film. You made a decision to switch over into music full-time. How did that go? 
yeah, I took a year off film after because after making a feature film, but funnily, funnily enough, you get quite tired. So I took a year off to just do some laboring and building and stuff, landscaping. Yeah. Um, and then while I was doing that, I started <clears throat> managing some local bands um, and they were really good bands, but they all, they were all a bit hesitant to, um, to, to go more commercial than I, than they could have perhaps, um, which made managing them very hard. And so I just said, well, screw trying to control someone else's vision. I'll just do it myself. And that's how I started with my band. Buchanan? Yeah. That's awesome. Then you met Baz then. Baz, Boz? Uh, yeah, but Baz. As Americans always call him Boz. Yeah. Okay, I, so I, I call him that now just to wind him up. <laughs> um, but uh, so we, you can call him whatever you like. Um, but, you know, I met him a, about a year after that. Um, we were getting shopped around like for record deals. So we were talking with like Sony and Universal and, and Baz had his own record company. And his deal was the most compelling because it was like a one album deal, $70,000 and you can start tomorrow. Whereas everyone else's like universal's deal was like five albums and you know, every country had its own budget and it was a little bit more complex. Our lawyer's advice for better or worse at the time was do the smaller deal. It's still a big deal for a small deal. Um, and then you'll have more options later in your career. And so we did this, we did the Baz deal and, sort of various things happened. We ended up, he actually ended up closing his label midway through the recording process and all kinds of things happened. But one thing that remained consistent the whole way through was that him and I became very close friends yep. um, and trusted allies in the music industry. And that's a pretty rare thing. So uh, we stayed in touch. We actually went our own ways for about two or three years and then we came back together to start Vampo. And that's where it all yeah. came together. That's awesome. It I do like that you mentioned that the trust in the relationship had been established, but even still time did drift you apart. But when you have those meaningful connections, you know, and then you can, you know, jump back on that. I did come across a little bit of what your inspiration was previously because of my research, but for the listeners, can you tell them briefly what the inspiration was to starting the app? Oh yeah, so so Buchanan, which was my band, had a, a very good run in <laughs> Australia. Uh, and I'm a dual citizen, Australian and, and British. So I, I wanted to recreate the success that I'd had in Australia and England because it's just a bigger market and, you know, I could have done potentially theoretically a lot better. Um, so I, I went over there to try and, and recreate that magic and it was just really hard. It just felt like I was starting from scratch, no yeah. team, no plan. Um, and I, I realized that the reason why nothing was really happening, and, and actually in the end quite a few things did happen over there, so it was quite worthwhile experience. But the reason why things weren't happening as fast as I wanted was because I didn't know the right people. And that was where the idea for Vampa came from. I, I flew back to Australia, called Baz, who I hadn't spoken to in a year or two, and I just said, Do you, this is a problem I think needs solving. And he said, oh, that's weird because I had the same issue when I was a kid. And we went away and did some research and spoke to our friends and other bands and other musicians. And it seems like everyone's had the same problem, which is like, how do you put together that team that actually works? So that was, that was the inspiration behind sacrificing my life to tech. <laughs> and here we are today. Yeah. What's your take on this? <clears throat> Recognizing people in your community is essential for growth. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, what do you mean what's my take on it? Like it's that's a, I think that's a truism. It's, it's So I like to think it is. Some people don't necessarily give 
their team members or people part of their community recognition, and they will struggle. But uh, something that I saw that your I team did, does. Sorry, I did, a, I did a TED talk on this exact topic. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nothing you can do in life, pretty much, especially in creative worlds, though, can be achieved without the assistance of other people. Um, even as I said in my in my talk, even wiping your ass involves using a toilet roll that was produced in a factory, driven by a driver to the store, sold by a cashier. So your community and your networks, your various networks that, that affect your life, uh, all need to be acknowledged, uh, I think, and appreciated for, for you know, how things get to where they are. So yeah, of course, yeah, I think that's it's essential. Yeah, I did say they were semi-ridiculous. <laughs> But uh, some some examples that you guys use at at Vamper is user shoutouts. I've seen you do a couple yeah. of shoutouts with your users, pro pro users. Well, so we 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 mix it up between we have things called Vamper stories, which are they're more they're, they're basic productions, but they they take longer to put together. So that's usually we have people who met on Vamper, and we try and capture both sides of the story, mm-hmm. uh, and then if they've made something like a video clip or an original song, or they've appeared on a a magazine or they've got a big sync on TV. We, we produce these videos. So they're Vampa stories. We do about one of them a month. And then every week we highlight um, just our favorite pro users of the week. So we all sit around and listen and then we sort of just choose at random. Yeah. And we reach out to a lot of the pro users and we ask them who's interested in being a part of it. Like we never just put up content without asking for permission, but um, yeah, <clears throat> rebroadcasting, our user success stories is, I think, key to the growth and trust in the platform. Yeah, yeah. And then I also saw recently you did the uh, a post specifically around the women behind Vamper because yeah. of a previous miscommunication, I suppose it is? It wasn't a miscommunication. It was a, an astute observation by too many people, including some of my ex-girlfriends, that, um, <laughs> that our team <laughs> that our team was very male-heavy. And it was at a point in time and it was, you know, 2017. So this was quite a long time ago, but at a point in time, it was male heavy. I would add the caveat though, that when you're a team of six or seven people, um, that's not necessarily unusual. I mean, the, it could be either, you know, the, the chance yeah. that you've got a small team, hard to talk about diversity, but we, we've got about 12 or 13 people working full time now and it's pretty evenly split. And I, I'm honestly a big believer you should just hire the best person for the job. I don't really care what they look like or sound like, or, you know, the color of their skin or anything like that. But I do appreciate that having a, a female perspective, which is different to a, a male perspective, uh, can actually benefit the conversation. And so we've put we've put women in in positions of power now. I'm very proud of that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Very cool. <clears throat> Earlier, you mentioned that. Uh, specifically as an artist, you're going to need a lot of people to help you grow, to help you accomplish anything. And then you use the toilet paper example so that everyone can relate to that. But uh, does that logic apply to partnerships in your business or would you ever consider starting a business on your own? Some people um, would say partnerships don't even work. I've started many businesses on my own. I mean, um, even when I was in a band, the way that we were structured, it was really more of a, a, a single person's thing and then paid band members. Um so yeah, I mean, I've done it before. I'd do it again. Um, you can collaborate with people, essential people, in fact, that aren't necessarily your partner. So you don't need to be, you know, equal. Um, you can you can put people on payroll, for example. I mean, I think Bruno Mars is doing something similar now, where I'm pretty sure he doesn't actually have. I think it's him. 
doesn't have a man. Well, he has a manager, of course, but he just pays them a yearly salary. I think Kendrick does the same thing. So you don't always need to be cutting people into your business directly for them to be fundamental to what you're doing. Interesting. So yeah. even with managers and agents, that kind of stuff, it doesn't have to be a percentage in terms no. of cutting them into the business. No, the reason that it's a percentage is most people can't afford um, right. to pay up front, right? Um, and, or you need to be making a certain amount of money before that's feasible. Um, and also the percentage works for agents too and managers because, on yes, on the small side, they'll be earning nothing, peanuts, but on their big acts, yeah. it's much higher. So that, it works for the industry. But um, if I was an artist... I would probably try and negotiate a flat fee, but that's just from my years of experience and everyone has different experiences. So it's certainly not the gospel. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, <clears throat> what's your take on this? Vapper is the most user-friendly and most versatile app, not only for musicians, but also DJs, rappers, industry peeps, music blobbers, blobbers, bloggers, instrument techs. How did that work? How did you make it so user-friendly? Well, it started with... Um, a whiteboard and writing down what's our favorite music apps, what's our favorite social apps, and what's our favorite video games, even though none of us are gamers, but we all like have played games um, and understood gamification. And we, we went through and then we, we just wrote down effectively brand names and then we tore apart those brands in a positive way and we what, what works, what doesn't work, um, and then how would you apply that to LinkedIn was kind of the next question. And then... We, we kind of reverse engineered something that we'd, we'd like to use ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we spent a long time making it so simple that hopefully an idiot can use it. Um, and some people still write to us and say, I don't know what to do, but it's, it's not that many people, thankfully. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're you're going to have one or two. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it really, you know, obviously... It's funny, we, we had another one of our competitors once invite them to their offices. This is in the early days. And they looked at it and they said, well, this is pretty simple tech. We could build this in a second. It's like, I don't think you appreciate it. It's kind of like your favorite album will probably be quite minimalistic and simple, but it's not. It's, you know, it's just that's, it's the genius of it, right? Yeah, and that's why it is. Saying, yeah, exactly. And so like Vampa from a u- user interface or user experience perspective is simple, but um what's going on behind the scenes and all of the maths and equations that are happening every millisecond. You've got to remember 700,000 people and everyone likes 20-ish different artists and has content and information. All of that is constantly cross-checking against other profiles and working out, is this person going to match with so-and-so? And So there's machine learning going on and algorithms that are running 24-7. And it's a social network, which means it has to be online 24 hours a day. And people don't uh, appreciate the complexity in that until they run a social network. I mean, there's not many of us in the world that have this many people. I, I don't know. I, I actually need to do that research this week, but we must be in the top 50 social networks in the world at this point. Um, Congratulations. So, yeah. yeah. How, did you, uh, how did you manage the tech side of this? Did you hire someone else, an outsider, or bring someone in with that skill set? Um, I kind of approached it the same way that <laughs> I approached songwriting in my music career, which is like I started by asking questions. So it, it happened that my, my stepfather's brother is a professor, professor at a university that has a computer science division. So I, on and off, like a long shot, I said, or a crapshoot rather, I said, have you got any students that can help me do this? And he said, no, kind of the wrong department, but 
I could set you up with an interview with this kid who was like the star of the last year's cohort and he's looking for work. So I, I had a meeting with him and then I met with some other people and I, you know, at some point I worked out that what we were building was called a graph database and so then I had to go and learn that and become an expert in, in graphs and um, you just keep asking questions and eventually yeah. settled on the right group of people and we budgeted it out and we worked out how much it would cost to you know, run for a year and, and we went from there. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And you mentioned gamification. You studied that while uh, while coming up with your, your plan. Why, where was the inspiration that came from video games for a music app? Good question. So networking in general, whether it's music industry or, or any industry, is not particularly fun. Um, like it's quite, uh, it can be fun if it's in a social environment, you know, like a mixer event or something. But it's it's quite nerve-wracking for most people, even the most confident of people don't usually like having to say, hi, my name is blah and I do this really well and, and you should know me. It's not a comfortable thing to do, right? So our approach was that it's already bad enough on LinkedIn. Um, it's certainly LinkedIn certainly isn't working for creative people at all. So what if we gamified the process? Because it's an essential process. You have to network. But what if we made it more fun and, and less serious in some respects? And that was sort of the... But how can we break the ice easier and encourage people to connect? So that's where the Tinder model came in. That works very nicely. It's uh, yeah. I feel like you do also apply, at least in your in your in your advertising, in your advertisements, similar esque graphics to kind of play the mind in, in in like this is a fun experience. Come and join us, and it works. That's ultimately what everyone tries to do because they want to do that. But um, how do you make sure that the networking isn't spammy? That's a great question. This year we introduced connection limits. So you can't send so many connections a day because there was a point where some users, I think we had like found people who had swiped on 200,000 people or something ridiculous. Um, what? Power swipes? Yeah, we, yeah <laughs> we, we, exactly. And, and we didn't, we used to let that, like there was uncapped so you could just keep going. Um, and now, now it's limited at I think a hundred a day or something, but um the point is, is that that's, that's one way that we do it. The other way is that we, we de-prioritize people in the algorithm who sh- exhibit traits of not being a quality profile. So um, it's hard to explain exactly, but basically the, there's enough indicators to work out when someone's trying to fraud the system a little bit uh, and they get punished and they probably won't show up on too many other people's results. Um, but I, yeah, we, we're getting better at that all the time. It's just about identifying behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. How, what, what does the, oh, when you started up, how did you initially onboard? Like our first hundred users? Yes. Um, that was pretty growth hacky. We like sat on me and our first ever intern sat on Craigslist and just like responded to people who had like, oh, wow. Looking for looking for ads um, and we just hit them up saying you might be able to find them on Vampa. And of course they couldn't because there was no one else on there to find. But um, that was like our pathway to the first hundred or thousand people. And then from there we started doing more traditional advertising. Oh, quite interesting. And what does it look like when an artist jumps on immediately? Like what does that profile setup process looks like? We asked you, we used to do this single sign-on, which was cool, but it didn't capture a lot of useful information. So now we're trying something a little bit different. We're always experimenting and 
like always happy to admit when we've not got something done right. So the current yeah. experiment is that, you know, we actually ask for quite a lot of information up front, but the idea is that it's going to create a better uh, experience for everyone on the platform and you've got more complete profiles. So it takes you through a series of questions. It asks you what you are, like what's your skill set, what's your favorite genre. It'll ask you for a few favorite artists. You can link your SoundCloud or YouTube accounts or Vimeo. Um, and then it shows you a quick little tutorial animation of like what to do, like how to swipe, how to go deep, all that kind of stuff. You can dismiss that and then you're in. Um, and you're and then, in. You know, everything we do in that first couple of sessions is about getting you to connect with a couple of people um, because once you've connected with a couple of people, then you can take advantage of things like our news feed um, and, and really get the most out of the network. So it's a complicated funnel, but uh, it's a good one. It's a rewarding one. That is. So obviously networking has become a lot easier now, but was it not hard for people to network even within the first hundred or thousand? Um, like how did, how did yeah. you retain them almost? Yeah, well, we had different. Okay, I'll, so this oh, I'm getting nerdy now, but I'll, I'll I'll answer it in quite a specific way. We have parameters in our search that are specific and global. So, for example, you can search in a ten mile radius, but you can also search in a global area, right? Because with music collaboration, you can do them over the internet. You don't need to be in the same room. Yeah. Um. Then there's other things like, you know, all sexes versus male or just female, all skill sets. So our, our initial like original search default was everything on global. So it didn't matter who you were or what you thought you were coming to Vampa for, you were going to see results. Right. So that's, that's kind of how we did it. Whereas now, because there's enough people, when you open the app, you'll only see people, like your default search is much more specific and closer to you and much more. Yeah, you know, yeah, awesome. Personalized. That's cool. Yeah. With the option, of course, to expand. Of course. Yeah, you can always yeah. expand. Yeah. That's very cool. Very cool. Beautiful. Our next segment is called Clear the Air. This this is a little bit more grumpy style, that, uh, that sound. <laughs> okay, so Clear the Air. We're going to change gears a little bit. We're going to try and provide more educational content for um for the guests essentially and we do like to start this off this segment off with a guest question one of our audience members asked a question so i'll just show that for you right now okay what is going on go produce squad i got a question for josh now the people want to know what was the transition like from being a songwriter and essentially an artist into becoming an entrepreneur responsible for creating a very successful music app now, is there an overlap between the two? And are there specific skills that you developed when being a songwriter that you were able to carry over and use as an entrepreneur in the music app scene? Looking forward to the answer. That was Josh. Cool. Or for Josh, yes. That was for Josh. Yes. I'm Josh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, I get asked that all the time. I think that the two are very similar. Uh, a songwriting is problem solving, I think, at its heart. It's what chord should come next and and what hook sounds better here and which producer should I work with and, and which EQ should I, which part of the EQ should I turn up there on? Should I scoop out the middle of it? So there's all these questions and answers and, and it's all quite, in some ways, quite mathematical. Um, I didn't view it like, I don't view it like that, by the way. Like when I'm writing a song, I'm just in the, right. in the energy 
I'm trying to capture a, a sort of a vibe, but um, it is still problem solving. And so when I started running the company and I, I was just kind of touched on this earlier when I said, you know, you asked me how did I put the team together and I, I asked a question and then I met someone and then he told me to go meet so-and-so. Like it's the same thing and business is no different. You're, you're presented with a series of options. Um, it's, your, it's your job as the CEO to make the right decisions or the best decisions that you can with the options that you have. Um, and those options might be you've got 150 grand for the rest of the year, uh, but there's seven months in the year you've got to work out how you can split that up. And so then your option is to got to create a spreadsheet and I've got to work out how that all breaks down and then I've got to consider tax implications and, and rah, rah, rah. Um, and, of course, that gets much more complex, especially we've, we're sort of six years deep. We've got subsidiaries in multiple countries. Um, you, you know, we have thousands of shareholders. Uh, every skill set that I do is completely unrelated to the next. Um, <laughs> and it's yeah. But, but it is still similar to being an artist in some ways because being an artist is like running a small business. 100%. You've got, you've got your lighting guy, your sound guy, you're dealing with, you know, promoters, venues, merch people, graphic designers doing your artwork, uh, you're choosing masters, you're making all these decisions that are going to affect your product that you're selling um, and you are your product. Yep, Absolutely. So there's great like, crossover, yeah. Like, to quote Sean Carter, um, I'm not a businessman, I'm a businessman. And it's kind of like that. Yes, sir. Anyway. I'm a businessman. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Cool. Clear, can you clear the air on this? What are the five groups of artists? I can I can list them out for you if if you prefer. Yeah? Yeah. So Please you've got them, yeah. undiscovered, promising, yeah. established, mainstream, and epic. Can you okay. touch on each of these? Um, well, 90, 93 to 97% sit in that first category that you said. So undiscovered. undiscovered. Yeah. Yeah. And that's who we focus on. So the others take care of themselves. We often, you know, so a lot of people come to us and they go, oh, you should get like Drake or Kanye to, to be involved and do a shout out and you'd get heaps of users. It's like, oh, firstly, that's not our audience. Um, secondly, uh, we don't really have a problem getting users, but um, <laughs> that's a good point too. <laughs> but, but the point stands is that Vamp is not really about trying to convince people who already have a team that that Vamp is the best place to build your team because it's a, it's not a paradox, but it's it's not a necessary requirement. They don't have that need. Yeah, our job is to sell it to the the people who actually need the solution, which is undiscovered folks who probably haven't fallen into their inevitable or eventual team um and then th they'll buy in and they'll stick with it by virtue of the fact that when they do find their team they will every time they have a requirement in the music industry moving forward they will fall back onto vamp and go that's that's my go-to default place to find the next requirement that's awesome that's awesome i wanted to share another statistic about the epic in the mainstream the bigger bigger artists apparently 1.1 percent of all artists have 87.3% of all Facebook page likes and then 88.4% of all Twitter followers. So that really shows you how much attention is already there. So the the undiscovered artists, the promising artists, even the established artists still have so much work to even compete with these people. And now that we're on a global stage, it's like you're directly competing against them all the time. So but this app is crazy the, wild. The undiscovered artists is high, there's more in numbers 
right? Like there's more of them. So their catalog and the value of their catalog is arguably as high as the Epic category because there's just so many more songs. There's million, well, maybe billions. It's hard to know, but um, there's more of them. I always believe in power of the people. You know, I'm always going to stand with the group that's, that's the, you know, the big mob. Not there's just numbers a, there, yeah. Of course. Random question kind of, but have you found a specific area where you didn't expect so many creatives to be concentrated in? There's more managers on the app than I expected. Huh. So there you go. So there's, I, I, that's, that's just one of the, the categories that we yeah. offer that yeah. you can choose. But um, that's like one of the most popular categories. So that's, um, that's been one of my interesting learnings from, from starting Vampire. Yeah. I'm always curious about those odd observations. Like, aha, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Well, I'll tell you a cool one actually about, uh, in 2017, we were doing some analyses for a major label on who was popular in Vamper, and, and we have pretty good insight into which artists are sort of trending around the world. If we we don't do it regularly, but whenever we do these analyses, we always learn interesting stuff. And we found out that Eminem was just the markets were speaking, and he was the most popular person at that time. But he hadn't put out an album in a year, and interestingly, a, a, a few weeks later. Um, he was booked for Coachella. So, and he had this, so it's just really interesting that like, you know, market forces and market trends are really interesting things because they're not controllable, right? They're set by the market. And so it's really interesting to be able to watch some of those trends on our platform and then see real world uh, outcomes. Yeah. Weeks later. It's interesting. That is very interesting. Can you clear the air on this? Connect, create and control. Is that, uh, is that, a tagline are those values you live by what does that yeah, mean to you <clears throat> connect create control is is really trying to be a fairly literal explanation as to what you can do in the app so you know the first thing you do is you connect with someone then the idea is you create something new together and then control refers to our recently released publishing and distribution features and Which tools is huge and so, yeah big and so that just allows folks to control their whole career basically from one ecosystem as opposed to like having your distribution on CD baby and you're publishing with song trader. You can do it theoretically or you can do it practically. Sorry. Yeah. 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 And so that that'll give you distribution and there's also royalties involved in this that is claimed for the artist. Uh, so if it's distribution, then we're just passing through hundred percent of the royalties. Um, that was something I was really passionate and dogmatic about achieving when we were negotiating those sorts of deals. So if yeah, if you do distribution through Vampa, you will get 100% of your royalties paid through. Um, and publishing, I think the current split is 75-25, uh, which is probably the best that you'll find on the internet. Um, so that's, yeah, it's different, different royalty rates for the different two different products. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And then... Are you doing more integrations with the pro feature or are you also trying to do other kinds of integrations for like the general app itself? For example, like SoundCloud and YouTube integrations to, yeah, to name a couple. Yeah, our whole platform is actually built on smart integrations. Like that's literally how it's, even things that you wouldn't realize were integrations. So um, yes, we'll be doing a lot more of those, but I can't really say much more about that at the moment because it's, it's always a negotiation first, so. Yeah, yeah, understood. 
networking. I want to I want to clear the air a little bit on this. We we said that it's all obviously variable, but um, what do young professionals need to do, and what must they not do when making connections? Um, there's people have different approaches. So often after someone connects, uh, there's there's kind of two approaches. There's the approach of getting to know someone first, and then saying this is what I do and this is what I need, um, and then other people just go in quite aggressively and say. This is what I need. Now, that works if you are really talented. And so people can check out your profile. They might audition you through your videos or your songs or whatever. And they might go, oh, this person can get away with that. But I'm kind of always, I'd prefer to do the former. If, if I was using it for its intended purposes, I'd probably be a bit more modest and, and let the music speak for itself in a positive way rather than a, but we, we see both behaviors. We, we don't actually read the messages that people send, but we can see based on things like if they've been reported or um, how many connections they make, we can work out basic trends as to how people are approaching networking. And some of them are just more successful than others. I think you should always be patient. Um, I think perseverance is the number one tip because sometimes you'll send someone a message and they won't get back to you. That happens to me in the business world. I have to hit people up 20, 30 times sometimes just to get a response if I need one. So people need to be yeah, patient, persevere, and polite. Three Ps. I just made that up. Hey, someone write that down. Patient, polite, and persevere. Yeah. Persevere. There it was. Okay. I was listening. You can put that on a t-shirt. A t-shirt. Yeah. (laughs) That's cool. During my research, I read that one of your greatest challenges with Vamper today was with outsourcing marketing, particularly PR. Said that was a costly learning curve. Can Can you shed some light on that? We just hired some really bad publicists in the early days. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty simple story. And um, we didn't really know what the market rate was in America. And we kind of got taken advantage of. And we knew we were getting taken advantage of, but we had the the tools or the know-how to stop it from happening in real time. And I don't know, the whole thing is just a big clusterfuck. Now we do most of it in-house. Um, we still work with firms from time to time. Yeah. Um, but it really, it really depends. Like we won't, we don't have a full-time firm. We'll, we'll work with firms when it suits if we have a campaign coming up or we have some new product feature that we're trying to get people talking about. But, um, yeah, I don't know. You just get crafty, don't you? I mean, like, it's it's actually ironically the problem we're trying to solve with Vampa. So we didn't know how to find a publicist. So we just used the first person that someone told us about and they turned out to be shite. Um, whereas yeah. now, I've worked, now I've worked with <laughs> probably... 20 publicists in America. And so I know which ones are good and bad and I know who's cost effective and who's not. Um, So it's just experience. It really does come down to experience. I'm curious to hear about ancillary revenue streams. What are your plans for that? Um, So that's things like uh, if you see an ad for Splice inside of Vampa and then you go on Splice and you buy a spice product, uh, we may take a cut of that. So uh, that's that's what we talk about when we talk about ancillary streams. It's basically anything that's not pro is an ancillary revenue stream. Mm-hmm. Um, grants from the federal government, that's an ancillary revenue stream in some respects, although it depends how you classify it. But um, there's lots of, yeah, as I say, it refers to any area that's not Vampa Pro. That's how we're dif- discussing it at right. the moment. I assume you're, you're talking like with respect to our crowdfund campaign, right? I was I was talking about that too. And then also just curious, the 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 database of 
artists is growing and the products that they're putting out is growing as well. Perhaps something turns or or grows from that for for revenue streams for you guys. So I was hoping to see if the conversation will go that way as well. Yeah, well, that's what Vampa Publishing is all about. So it's like about a year ago, almost exactly, we, we took a step back and we said, what's our number one asset? And our number one asset is our user base. And what do our users have? Songs. So, you know, the idea of we could have the biggest song catalog in the world in a matter of months was like, okay, that's worth pursuing. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, and how do you audit or accurately get the revenue from that partner vendor? Oh, yes. Does that make yeah. sense? Okay. It does. Yeah. All established brands, and we would only ever work with established brands, have affiliate programs. So they're, they're sort of self-governed systems, I suppose. And there is an element of trust always. There just is in business, I guess. But those systems show you the amount of click-throughs, uh, the amount of revenue made from those click-throughs and then your commission that you are owed, right? And most contracts when you do a deal like that would have usually quarterly, half-yearly or annual um, audit periods that you have the right to check that against your own data. So if they lie, the relationships aren't going to last. So there's no incentive for either party to lie. Um, so the, as I say, it's sort of there is an element of trust, but it's all done online these days. Right. Is there a third party structure that measures these, these, the analytics? Uh, it, it really depends on exactly what you're talking about. Like sure. every, every, every revenue stream comes with its own nuance. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Good point. You got to diversify. That's how you grow faster. <laughs> Beautiful. I'm going to ask the grumpy sound guy if he has any last minute questions before we, before we wrap up. I think I think you've been very very thorough, and uh, just wanted to let you know that you're doing a great job with the app. Thank you, man. Much appreciated. That's super. Well, if that's the case, Josh, do you have any closing remarks? Anything you'd like to share with us? Um, Final words. Yeah, just check check out the app if you haven't. Um, you can get it for free from uh, www.vampa.me. That's V-A-M-P-R, and uh, we have a crowdfunder as well at the moment. So if if the company seems to be growing in an exciting way to you like it does to us, then you can buy a small slice of it for um, I think as little as $100 as of today. So there you go. Get on you that. Okay, stuff. cool. And You can become my boss for as little as $100. <laughs> good to know, good to know. You said V-A-M-P-R dot M-E for the website. What about social medias? Can our listeners find you anywhere else? Yeah, our handles on every platform are the same, such so as at Vamper app. At Vamper app. Okay, beautiful, yep. beautiful. Before before I say my thank yous to everyone, we got a little, one more guitar solo? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's beautiful, beautiful. That's jokes. Alrighty, well, thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in again. We always enjoy you guys joining us. Shout out to our very own Grumpy Sound Guy. We love you. Shout out to Prevail Media Group. Without the facility, this would not be. And lastly, great big thank you to you, Josh Simons. Thank you for joining us today. We out. Thanks again, you guys. Thank you for listening. If you found any value in this episode and you want to learn more from our content, check out our website at goproduce.ca. If you're on Instagram, check out our handle at go.produce. If you're on YouTube, subscribe. If you're on Spotify, hit download. If you're on Apple Music, leave a review. This will all help us grow our community. I'm Big Lou, and this is Go Produce. Thank you.